Amen. Please, if you'll be coming on in and finding a seat, please. Hopefully things will continue to be tight back here. We may have a little trouble finding a seat, but there's plenty of seats. Just go on down and find one. We want to begin tonight by certainly welcoming all of you to our services here at Boonville. We're thankful you're here, uh, especially uh, those that have honored us with their presence as guests. Thank you for coming as well. Want to invite you to be back here on Sunday morning at 930. Our Bible classes at five o'clock. We want you here for uh, all those events. And uh, we certainly appreciate the fact that you're here tonight. I hope you had the opportunity to uh, get one of the bulletins as you came in. If not, please pick one up. There's a lot of information in there that you'll need. So please pick up one of the bulletins. Uh, as far as announcements that we want to emphasize, the youth will be going on a canoe trip August the 19th. Uh, Drew Bruce has the details, but there's going to be a meeting about that this coming Sunday morning following our services in the little chapel, so please remember that. Also, Celebrate in Song is coming up this Friday evening at Cox Boulevard. Uh, the bus is going to be leaving at 5.15. It will return at 2 a.m., and I've been told we need to emphasize the fact that we've always had excellent crowds to go in the, in the past, uh, maybe one, two buses. We also have uh, two of our own who have been invited to be song leaders, uh, Brother Ken and uh, uh, Brother Jordan Coates. They're gonna be leading singing as well. So if you wanna go and be a part of this event, we need you to sign the list tonight uh, in the foyer so that uh, we can make the proper preparation for that. So. Uh, think about that this coming Friday night. Our Tuesday morning ladies' Bible class is getting underway uh, this coming Tuesday, August the 15th at 9.30. All the ladies are invited, and I would encourage uh, any of you ladies who have not even tried that before to give it a shot. I think you'll really enjoy uh, the class, the information. Sister Janita does an outstanding job teaching, and there's always good, I don't want to use the word fellowship, I'll say womanship uh, there. So uh, uh, anyhow, I guess people are inventing new terms. That's a new term, I guess. I don't know if it's a legitimate term or not. But uh, anyhow, ladies, please consider that. The Girls' Day is coming up on Saturday, August the 26th from 8.30 until 12. Uh, Nicole Young is the, best, is the guest speaker. And if you plan to attend that, please sign the, in, up on the list in the foyer or see uh, Kerry Parson for more uh, details. We want to express our deepest sympathy to uh, Brother Will Ramsey and his family and the death of his grandmother, uh, Peggy Ramsey. Uh, visitation was tonight from five until seven at Peggy's Funeral Home in Tupelo. The funeral's going to be tomorrow at noon, also at Peggy's Funeral Home with a visitation one hour prior to the service. Uh, we want to congratulate Drew and Laura Galloway on the birth of their uh, baby daughter, Mary and Ruth Galloway, born on August the 6th. Uh, she weighed seven pounds and two ounces, 20 inches long. And of course, she's welcomed home by big sister Kendall and big brother Bennett. So let's be praying for uh, Drew and Laura and their family as they adapt to this new one. All of you ladies are invited to a baby boy shower in honor of Lauren Brumley. Uh, and baby boy Austin Benjamin Brumley. 
That'll be on Sunday, August the 20th from 1.30 until 3 in the Annex. And uh, those that are going to be helping with that particular shower are asked to meet in the little chapel tonight following our service. Of course, this coming Sunday night's a very special night for us. We will be hosting Northeast Night. It's going to be a huge night. There'll be five to 600 people, we hope, that will uh, push the walls of this auditorium to their limits. And we want a good crowd. And we want you to be here to invite our guests. And uh, we've got an opportunity here to make a tremendous impact on many folks who may have never been any church building associated with Churches of Christ. And so we want to make that good impression upon them. Of course, following uh, the service five at 5 o'clock, we'll be feeding all of those who are our guests. And uh, there are several lists back there in the foyer. If you would please sign to bring food, sign up to bring food for that, it will be much appreciated. So let's be thinking about that, and let's make Sunday night very, very special. Our food pantry is going to be open tomorrow morning uh, from 9 until 10.30. Uh, the pantry item this uh, month is dried beans. If you want to come and help us out with that tomorrow, see how it goes, we'd certainly love to have you. I believe that's all the announcements that I have. Brother Jim Estes is going to be leading our singing, and Brother Merle Crow will dismiss us in prayer. Mark, please, number 939 as our invitation song, number 939. Now turn to number 453, number 453.
think all of us tonight ought to strongly consider praying the prayer the psalmist prayed in Psalms 39 and verse 4. The psalmist said, O Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days that I may know how fleeting or frail I am. What if I told you that tomorrow in your mailbox you're going to get an envelope and inside that envelope that you get tomorrow would be a piece of paper with the number of days that you have left to live in this life. Would you want to open that envelope or just forget about it? What would you expect that number to be if you did open up that envelope? If you're young, perhaps you would expect that number to be over 10,000, but you don't know that. We know that young people die every day and whether you're young or whether you're old or whether you're going to die maybe sooner or later than expected, all of us have a fixed number of days left to live here upon this earth. And only God knows how many days that each of us have remaining. And that's why I think this prayer in Psalms 39 and verse four is a very good prayer for us to meditate upon. I think it's good wisdom to ask God to help us to know our end. Because you see, the better we're able to grasp just how fragile and fleeting our lives actually are upon this earth, the better we're going to be at preparing for our eternity to come. And so tonight I want to ask you as we sing this song of invitation, you don't know how many days you have left. We know that life is like a vapor, James says. It's here for a little time and, and it, then it vanishes away. We, we have no way that we can even know what's happening tomorrow. We don't know what that day may bring forth. And so in view of all that, have you made the preparation that you need to make to be ready for eternity. If you're not a Christian tonight, you can make that preparation. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you're willing to repent, live your life for the Lord, and confess his name that he's the Son of God, you can be baptized tonight for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can go to bed tonight with confidence of your eternal reward. Or if tonight you haven't been living faithfully, maybe you've taken for granted the responsibility that you have as a child of God, you may need to come tonight and uh, repent of those sins, confessing them, and we can pray to God for you, and you can be restored to his first love. And so tonight, if you need to respond, we give you this opportunity while we stand and sing. Oh, do not let the word
Let us pray. Dear Lord, what a happy day it is to come to your house and to worship you. May we do it in spirit and truth. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the lesson that uh, Doug presented to us. And it's something to think about if uh, you want to get to heaven, that you need to start working on it now, not uh, waiting till it's too late. Father, we pray that you'll just be with us now as we go into our classes. Give the teachers a ready recollection of the things that they need to tell us. May we be attentive, attentive and just uh, uh, absorb what they are trying to give to us and, and be with us now and just uh, bless us all and, and just uh, encourage, be an encouragement to others that they may want to come here and to hear and to study thy word. Be with us now and forgive us where we fail thee. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As our teachers go to class, let's sing the first stanza of number 851, I'll Fly Away. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away.
All right, I believe everybody's got settled in. Appreciate everybody coming out tonight. We'll begin back on our prayer request. I know we've got Baby Galloway added to it. Anybody have any additions to the prayer list or any changes in people? She'll be putting in to have a baby girl. All right, we'll go ahead and start in prayer if nothing else. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to come together here at this place. We're ever so thankful the the blessings we've received thus far this week. We're so thankful for the safety in our travels. We're so thankful of all the physical blessings we've received to live this life and to survive, Lord. We're thankful that all good and perfect things come from Thee. Lord, we ask Thee for help to the ones mentioned, the ones on this list, the ones having operations and other things. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we pray for these new births and children coming into this world, Lord, we pray for them and pray for love and caring for them. Lord, we're thankful to have your word, thankful to have it to open and study and meditate upon it, Lord. We're ever so thankful for having this group of people to support one another. And Lord, we're thankful to gather in this place without fear of persecution. Lord, we ask thee to go with us throughout this study. Lord, and bless it if it be thy will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, recapping a little bit last Wednesday, we got through uh, the first few chapters, uh, went over the author of the book and um, looked at the first issues that they had, looked over divisions in the church and some stuff about it, um, kind of closed out there looking at spirit, spiritual growth being stunted, <clears throat> kind of looked at some causes and things of that, things we could tap into to prevent that. Um, there was an article I was on to read of the commentary uh, about kind of a factual time of archaeological stuff back then, more, more of a historical, uh, was looking at the people of that time and their school and stuff, <clears throat> and one of the things in those people's days that said the highest skill taught in the ancient education system was public address and debate. People were familiar with the distinction between what someone said and how he said it. And from the time of Socrates, they were reminded to be suspicuous of speakers with exceptional skills in rhetoric and speech. <clears throat> Someone clever but unprincipled might use such skill to deceive and mislead. When we look at this in Paul, you know, he was continually telling them, you know, 
I bring nothing, you know, except of what Christ has given us. Um, you know, he didn't come with any lofty speech, uh, didn't come with any exaggerative stuff, you know, just what was given to them they was bringing. They never claimed anything of themselves or to look to bring any glory or praise of themselves. Um, as we start here in uh, chapter 3, we look at the beginning of it, and as it starts off, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So as we kind of look at that and we examine ourselves, are we spiritual people or are we people of the flesh today? Spiritual is what we strive for. We live in a physical world, though, so how can we be spiritual and not be people of the flesh at the same time? Sir? Through obedience to the Word. So we have to, you know, people talk about, you know, <clears throat> living in a physical world and things that we have to do. We've got to provide for families. We've got to have physical food. We have to do the things, but we always have to put the spiritual first and continue to feed on the spiritual because just like of the flesh, if we don't feed of it, what will happen to us? We'll die, become malnourished, the same things of it. So as we continue to feed and grow on it. And the last part of that, look at it, you know, we look at it, are we infants in Christ? You know, he was talking to these people here, apparently they were having some issues, uh, issues in their growth or where he expected them to, to be at this time. So as we look at that and kind of examine ourselves, we think about it. <clears throat> Verse 2, he tells them, he said, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. Just this week, I was at a friend's house, and he had a litter of some young bird dog puppies that was just, just born. They was four weeks old. And when I pulled up there, he had a bowl of food, and he had the dog food, and he had milk poured over it. So the puppies hadn't eaten, you know, anything except for the milk from their mother, which was good for them and available. And they was looking at it, and they was, you know, kind of messing around with it, and they couldn't quite eat it. They was trying to figure out what it was. When the mother dog come over there and started eating and lapping up in it, they realized it was something, you know, that they could have. So they messed around, and once it got soft enough, they started eating on it. So we look at that, and we think about it just like us. You know, we have some... Um, young Christians here it's just obeyed the gospel and they're growing in their walk of life um, spiritual walk they're looking and growing you know and the thing about it they're going to need help from us just like that you know and as we study the Bible and grow we get into topics and discussions and we think about stuff and we look at matters that we looked at as a child and realize how much a deeper text or learning there was from it you know and it, it's funny you study books you study the Bible and you look at it and there's always something that you can learn from it or something new that comes from it. That's exactly right. He was talking about 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. That's what I was going to ask a few scriptures. We look at that with, that deals with this. Can anybody think of another scripture uh, that parallels along with this? Hebrews 5, 12, and 13 came to mind when I was looking at it. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. That's a... 
move on as you learn things move on it and build on it but that's a pretty tough text right there I mean it's pretty you know he's not beating around the bush you know he's not kind of scaring up on people and telling them you know he's telling them more or less you're not able to comprehend this you're still in need of milk where you should be elsewhere you know we think about it today and look at ourselves are we drinking milk or are we eating steak you know we look at it and I think each one of us have to kind of gauge ourselves accordingly. You know, we think about it and look at our spiritual growth. You know, it's each of us will individually answer for it, but we can all work together and help each other. Um, you know, as we look at that in aspect of this and look at our spiritual growth from the point of us being a Christian, we're definitely going to have ups and downs. We have better times that we're better at studying, doing other things. But in general, we need to continually grow and build on it. It needs to be in the longer scale, moving upward. Um, anybody have any comments on spiritual, a Christian spiritual development and tools that we can utilize for our spiritual development? Well, certainly we're using one of them right now. Class, we think about it. Think about each other. You know, not only at church, we see people in public. You know, it's good to have that interaction, good to have friends, good to have help. What else? What's one of our greatest tools that we have here that we can utilize or tap into? The Bible. The Bible. Prayer. Prayer. Our elders. We have four wonderful elders that I think people may, I wouldn't say bashful, but sometimes kind of, you know, I don't think we drop our comfort zone enough to kind of go into people and when we have problems, we need to talk about things. You know, sometimes it's better for us to let our guard down, open up and talk to people. Um, so prayer, elders, Bible, anybody else? Well, you know, converted people, we can't just say, well, when you're baptized, this, well, that's good today, but you got to keep on it's not over when we walk down there and congratulate them, is it? You know, it's every day. We need to befriend them, support them. It's okay to tell them troubles we had and help them know how we worked through it. Most of all, they didn't know we weren't perfect and, you know, they're not going to be either. That we can continue to work together and move forward and do good. Even though we have the influence of other Christians in that. We have to study every day. Absolutely. We need to examine and see what kind of influence we're being maybe sometimes. But individually when it comes to that spiritual growth, no one else is going to answer for us. You know, it's going to be us. But I think we definitely need to realize what we have that we can work. We're not alone. We'll independently be judged for ourselves, but we're definitely not alone. We think about the elders and their responsibility and, you know, greater judgment they have. You know, it's be mindful of it. We need to exhort and edify them as well. So we look here at verse 3. It says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Being of the flesh... What in your own words does that mean to you? If someone comes up 
speech, speaking of the Bible and stuff, someone that is living in the flesh, what does that mean mean to y'all? Sin, you know, think about for living fleshly, kind of looking more of a physical, sinful way. You know, we look at this mentioned, the jealousy. We look in the jealousy. You know, it was mentioned as an attribute of God, but how does it differ from the jealousy here? You know, look, he says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Is it the same jealousy it's talking about here? I think it's more of reverential as he commands us of him where this is more of a in a negative light you know we look at jealousy which causes any numerous amount of problems we know that that doesn't come from God so apparently it's not the same you know jealousy is one of the reasons they handed over Jesus you know it causes great great trouble in the Bible um, you know we look at James 3.16 you know different places like that. Um, jealousy always causes trouble and always hinders the teaching of Christ. In verse 4, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely humans? So when he looks here, and this whole starts up, when they look at people that was converted, these people were clinging, um, clinging to people here. Um, what was going on here that Paul was re rebuking them for? What was the what was the whole reason of this of the error of their way? What was Paul trying to point out? Trying to follow men, division in the congregation. You know, we look at this and think about it. Do people follow men today? Absolutely, all over. You know, certain aspects, you know, it's not bad, but we follow men in a spiritual light to the effect of this, you know, we need to be looking and following to God only. There's another article in the commentary I was wanting to read, and I've got a few verses that pointed to this. It says, In these days, modern Western societies teach their citizens that all people could have equal access to the goods and services provided by the society. Despite all evidence to the contrary, it is supposedly not. Who you know, but what you know, that obtains for a person what is desired in life. We are all taught that equal rights means equal opportunity, and equal rights are equally possessed by all. But in the Greco-Roman world, however, it did not operate under such any illusion. But according to a different principle, it was who you know that really mattered. Access to the society's goods and services was a totally different principle. It went from knowing the right person in the right place. Such a system is called patronage. This system was built upon perception of social inequality. The more the powerful the person in the relationship and the more they had access to goods and services, the status that they held. Rather, Paul preferred for himself and Apollos to be viewed only as ministers who served the church according to the gifts and abilities they had received to God. So if we look at that in the, of those times, it kind of feels like our political realm today. You know, it's not about merit and work. It's more about who you knew. So in this context, when they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, they was in their own works trying to look and think of who was the greatest. 
And they were trying to connect themselves to them just like they had brought up in that day. So as we look at that and look in the world, a lot of that still goes on. But in this time and day, that was their way of society. When we look at this about following men, a few scriptures that talks about this. Psalms 118, 8 through 9, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men or princes. Matthew 15, 14 says, Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way to death. Jeremiah 10, 3 tells us, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. We as humans looking at that, what faults do we have that will make it unrise for us to direct our own steps? You know, I look and think of it, I think of selfishness as one. I mean, many times myself think about things in my own life, what will be easier for me and other things. So we look at selfishness. What else as humanly attributes do we have that would not be wise for us to guide? Pride. Pride. Very prideful. Especially, I think men have a little more problem with that. Possibly. That's right. That's right. As we go through, we look at all those comparisons to God, steps that we should take, letting the Lord be God and leader in our life, especially in the spiritual aspect. As he gets to verse 5, he tells them, he says, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He tells them that they were merely what? Merely preachers, merely servants. So we look at this, and we just finished a lesson up here. We looked at the elders and the deacons and the role of it. And what's one of the biggest roles of them? Shepherd. At the end, serve. You know, there's much servant doing uh, of it. You know, it's a... Um, as they look to do that, it's a sacrifice for sure. It reminds me of Galatians 1.19. It says that if any man preach any other gospel unto you that you have received, let him be accursed. You know, they're more or less coming here by God's instruction and continually through it. They're not taking any praise of themselves or of that. Verse 6, he continues on. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. When I looked at this and was thinking about it, there's a bunch of places and opportunities in the church where this goes on, where the planting's done, where the watering's done, but at the end, God gives the increase. We look at Maywood. We look at all these kids just come back from camp. Eight weeks of kids, you know, the biggest week was 350, you know, on down to different numbers. But you think of the impact of that. Every day those kids were hearing two to three sermons or devotionals. What was that doing when they heard that? Seeds being planted. Every night the kids would go back to the cabin and be around the counselors We'll be around their friends. We'll be around the support group as they was hearing these things and talking about them and dis discussing to them. What were all those other people doing? Watering. So after they took that word, being watered and being nurtured, and then all those rededications and baptism, who was giving that increase? God. 
So we look at that, look at that full circle there and all the work and all the goodness being done from that. But we think about it today in other places and here our outreach work. What's some opportunities that the exact same thing is being done and can be done? Even here at Boonville. First thing I thought about was the jail ministry. Food pantry closed closet. Absolutely. What else? What other avenues do we have? Caring cooks, feeding, <clears throat> doing for others. The meal train. Meal train was done for the Galloways and other many other people looking in that. Showing the love of Christ, being the hands and feet of Christ. But we look at this, we think about the Bible correspondence course. You know, people that's interested reaching out. They're getting those answers. They're getting pointed towards the scriptures to look and fill that void and look towards serving God. And um, you even look here at church. You look at inviting people, bringing people in the, inviting the Bible class, into classes. You know, you never know what simple phrase or simple word or something from God's word that'll strike people and sticks with them. You know, everybody can hear a sermon and people can gather different things from it, different backgrounds, different others. The seed being planted works in the heart. God's word always comes out positive and always has a return and has an effect of people. This week we have a, night, a massive opportunity coming up Sunday. Think about Northeast night. You know, we look at this and think about the church building, filling this place up, using it for what it's designed for. We always on Wednesday nights, either before or after church, since we live so far out in the country, we make a grocery run out of this trip. So we was in Walmart and there was a lady there and I was talking to her and I could tell she was a college age uh, lady there and was talking and um, she seen we was in dress clothes. She was like, y'all going to church? And I said, yeah, I told her where. And I said, we've got the Northeast night coming up. You, order, you ought to come. She said, ah, Miss Gross has already invited me. I'll be there. You know, and you look at that and you think about reaching out to do work and you realize somebody's already been there. Somebody from here, that work, that seed's going out. It really makes you feel good. Um, verse 7, we look here. He said, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You know, we think about Luke and his account. If we would, let's turn to Luke 17. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. It says, Will any, any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at my table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. 
So we look here and think about that of doing good and doing this other, you know. We should go a step farther, you know, and ask them what they need or ask their wants first. So we look at that after we've done all those things. And even after we've went so far to do that, we're still unprofitable servants because it's our duty to do that. In verses 8 and 9, back in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 8 and 9, he says, He who plants, he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I can't think of any greater thing to be a part of or to labor in. And we look there and being his fellow labor, you know, it's, it's awful humbling for a scripture and passage to be compared as we look like that. Look at that. Any questions or comments on this section? Verses 10 through 15, he tells us, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. But it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss through, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know, we look at this as a scary text of a view of our accountability of our lives as a Christian, um, if someone would look up Second Thessalonians one, verses seven through nine, Second Thessalonians one, seven through nine. But as we look at this in verses ten through twelve, it shows. But in Christ there is hope to those who believe. As we look at this and we think about who is this being written to exactly here. The Christians. Christians located where? Corinth. But we look at that even today. Can it still not be directed exactly to us just the same? You know, we look at this word and all of it there, and it all seems to come and translate. You know, we can, we can see it, see it today, see our needs, and see all of that. If someone has Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, if you'd read that, please. with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we look at this and realize the seriousness of all this. And we look at ourselves, you know, we've looked at it both on the accountability of our own and of each other, accountability of helping and loving for each other. It's so important that we utilize and do all this to keep our spiritual faith strengthened and growed and moving forward and loving God and doing His will. In verse 16, we look here, it's 
we kind of had a pretty good discussion about this in the other class. Hopefully we will here as well. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So if we look here and look at the question, does the spirit of God dwell in you? Absolutely. How does the spirit of God dwell in you? Through the word. <laughs> <laughs> we look and we discuss many different ways and of this. You know, the scripture tells us it does. So we look and we think about it. Some of the discussion topics we talked about was the breath of life, of your living life of God breathed in you. One of the topics looked at was through the word. You know, as the word abides and lives in you, through the word, spirit lives in you. We looked also, the discussion was talking about conscience or conviction. Has anybody ever thought or did or went to do something and instantly just had that ought, that know of what you ought to or not to? What trains that conscience? God's Word. Ideally, that's what should train it. So if we allow it to, what's it going to do as we look to these obstacles and decisions and things about it? What's your conscience going to guide you? Guide you into obedience? Guide you into love? So we look and we look at the different things of this, of the Spirit dwelling in you. You know, we think about, you know, they used to say, the 80s and 90s, a, a saying that come through, they said, if you poke a member of the church, a scripture come out. You know, that's the way we ought to be. We think about it. You know, what's always there on your mind? What are you meditating on? What are you feeding on? What are you dwelling on? As we come to church and we leave here and we think about a lesson, put it in the crock pot, break it down. You know, the toughest piece of meat you put in a crock pot, anybody can eat it after it's been there long enough. See, think about this stuff as we look to grow. Meditate on it. Think about it. Discuss it with a fellow Christians, friends. We think about this. Verse 17 says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Before you move on to 17, we don't need to underestimate the power of the Spirit, you know, because in... Romans 8, chapter, in verse 26, it tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, when we don't know what to pray for, He'll intercede for us. You know, and, and sometimes we, we just underestimate the Spirit by saying it's just the Word in our body. But that looks very much like uh, the deity of God that is helping us from the inside out. You know, the scriptures are not listed as the great comforter. You know, we look at that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and us is just like we talked about. We're prideful. We're human. We're men. You know, sometimes we try to think about we don't need help. Don't need anything. Do it all from our strength. But we can't be like that and be obedient to God. We have to let him rule in our lives. Let his word rule in it. Any other comments on the spirit and dwelling in us? 
Absolutely. Anything else to add before we move to verse 17? I don't think that, you know, some people think that the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that, you know, I can wake up in the middle of the night and the Spirit just told me something. I, I kind of hesitate. I, I think it's, yes, I believe it's the deity of God, but I, there's, you know, we had a neighbor one time that, came over to talk to us and he said, you know, I woke up and the Spirit just told me that our boys need to be like brothers. And I was like, well, you know, so I, there's an extreme thought on the Holy Spirit indwelling. And that's my thought. And even within Christians, and I'm sure even with us, we'd have different views of it. And when we look at it and think about it, and I knew of this will be some controversy and other over, but you look and think about it. You know, we think about his spirit we think about God you know we think about God's not a respecter of persons you know and I've talked to friends and other that you know the scripture tells God's hands not wax short that he could not do these things but I look and think about it with my own self never personally had any interaction of that to happen to me and I feel like that God would you know I don't know that he would pick and choose and do something for one person he wouldn't do for another in my thought I've always looked and thought about it but the scripture tells us the spirit does dwell in us. Now, different interpretations and people having things, you know, that's kind of to their own, you know, it's hard to, we, we don't want to sell God short of what he can or can't do. I've always been my opinion of it, but I've never had such an incident of myself. That's right. You know, what do we have that God talks to us today the most important? We look at the Word. You know, we hear, we think about, let the Bible speak to you, you know. Read it and take from it, you know. Take from it, you know. We look in Revelations, we have some pretty intense warnings against adding to the Scripture. So we have to be very important to read it, take from what it is, look at it in its context, you know, even... So many people have much more ability to me to look at word search context of the Greek translated what it has. Um, you know, it's it's that important to be that meticulous about it. You know, we need to definitely represent it as what it says. Verse 17, we look here and it's explaining the temple. In this context, what is he referring or calling the temple here? Our body. That's what, that's, you know, we think about it and look, as we represent that and think about ourselves and our body, you know, we're to present it. It's ours given from God. We're only merely stewards of it. You know, I, I look and you think about everything you have that God's given you. Scripture tells us all things need to be done decently and in order. I think that can go for us, ourselves, our home, our vehicles, our children. You know, I think they can have applications in all facets of life of that. I think there's lessons, you know, we take take from it and apply in our lives and continue to benefit and get good from it. I 
I would most definitely think, you know, anything of damage or defiling to damage intentional of the body, absolutely. But it's like anything else. We can't go too far not to get God's forgiveness of any wrongdoing of it. We may still have to physically suffer the consequences of it, but, you know, we're just like one of Ken's lessons. He talked about us and our body. We're merely a conduit for God's Word and us to, you know, be examples, us to teach the Word, us to let Christ go through us. So our body needs to be in physically good enough shape to perform and do that work. You know, I think that, you know, it's it's here called the temple, our body, and there's warnings against it clearly in the Scripture. In verse 18... It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So we know we think about this and you look at people and I had an older gentleman tell me one time, he said, when I was a child, I thought my father was a pretty smart man. He said, I got a little older, got close to my teenage years, realized my daddy wasn't quite as smart as I thought. You know, he was still pretty smart, but you know, I don't know. He said, by the time I was 19 year old, I realized my dad didn't know anything. He said, he was just a fool. He said, as I got a little older, got in my 20s, I realized maybe he's a little smarter than I give him credit for. You know, he said, as I got older, got in my 30s and 40s, realized how much of a genius the man was. You know, as we look like that, we go through our lives and our stages, we have different perceptions. We have different depths that we think of wisdom and categorize it. In our youth, you know, we have much to learn and much of others. But as we look like look of this and we think about wisdom, same as the wisdom of the Scriptures as we grow, we need to continually go, go through and let go of some of those bad things, continue to put on some of those positive things, and continue to have good attributes as a Christian. Verse 19 says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catcheth the wise in their craftiness. Let's turn to Job 5. Anybody recognize this quote in this passage? Job 5. Job 5, starting at verse 8. It says, but if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He provides rain for the earth. He sends water on the countryside. He lowly sets on high. And those who mourn are limited, lifted to safety. He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. And here's that term. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the daytime, and at noon they grope as in the night. He saves the needy from the sword in their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts its mouth. So we look as he quotes this passage brings it here to these people we look at the great significance things of old for us to learn from we look at this and 
we look at the Old Testament passages and we look at the old, you know, we look from the years wandering in the wilderness. We look at Moses and his journey. We look at all these people and their path. And we look at every one of them and they're a lot like us. They had faults. They made mistakes. But they kept pressing towards God and kept moving forward. Verses 20 through 23, as we close up the chapter. It says, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world of life, or death, or the present, or the future, are all yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. To sum that up, all glory be to God. If any man glorieth in anything, let him glory to God. We looked and talked last week about, you know, if we're going to brag or boast about something, we need to boast about what God's done for us. You know, we need to put in view of our own personal achievements and abilities in a contrast to what God has done. So all glory be to God. Any questions or comments? We've got just a minute or two left. Anything on chapter 3? As chapter 4 will get started, it starts talking the nature of true apostleship. We look and think about that to set the scene for next week. True apostleship in your mind. What's true apostleship look like? What does it sound like? What's it act like? You know, we look at attributes and, and all of these things of, of things as a Christian. We should look and sound, and we should act away. All right, well, it's about a minute till. We'll save getting into chapter four and close tonight. Appreciate y'all, appreciate your interest.